Let's try that again. Um, adjusting the mic this morning. Hey everyone, it's Kevin here from Skywatcher, and welcome to another episode of the What's Up webcast. Um, I am here in sunny 80 degree Arizona, so hi to Cameron in rainy Seattle and Conrad in snowy Minnesota. Um, sorry, the weather isn't as good. Um, with that being said, welcome to the What's Up webcast. My name is uh, Kevin Lagore. I'm the product specialist for Skywatcher here in North America. And if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, the What's Up webcast is a astronomy-based webcast that we do here at Skywatcher every Friday, uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time. And we talk about everything astronomy, what's up in the nighttime sky, um, equipment, tips for observing and astrophotography and frankly whatever we feel like it um so thank you for joining us uh here this morning um if you like our page if you like being a part of the what's up webcast go ahead and subscribe to the channel we're only 10 away from 2000 um uh subscribers which seems really small in comparison to some of our friends like trevor jones at astro backyard and such but you know it helps the channel um, and keeps you up to date with what's coming and any new content that we're releasing um, coming up. So you can always stay uh, up to date by subscribing to the channel. Um, if you ever want us to cover something that maybe we haven't covered before, you can email us at support at skywatcherusa.com. And if it's about the webcast, just title it What's Up. Um, that way we know it's a webcast thing and it doesn't get mixed with all the, the rest of the uh questions and comments that we're getting in or emails all right so uh today we're going to be talking about observing the sun um last week we talked about solar filters we we covered um the basics of how filters work and the different kinds of filters for the most part that are available for safe observation of the sun with our equipment this week we're going to take what we learned last week and we're going to apply that to what we're now able to actually see in the telescopes and understand what we're actually seeing um, at that point. So uh, last week and this week go hand in hand. So if you missed it, um, there might be some things that I mentioned in this episode um, that correlate with last, last week's um, episode. So with that being said, once again, if you are going to be viewing the sun, please make sure you're doing this with the proper equipment. Um, you don't just go out there and look at it. Um, observing the sun is very dangerous. It's probably the most dangerous form of astronomy because we are dealing with the sun. There's a lot of heat, a lot of energy. Um, that's, that's just something that we're gonna have to work with um, and you need to be uh, knowledgeable about that before going into it. So uh, definitely go out, check. Um, the sun is a great thing to do, great thing to observe, but you definitely need to make sure you know what you're doing on it. And that's what the point of last week's webcast and this webcast are all about. So um, please put um, a lot of caution into things when you're viewing the sun. Um, so definitely, uh, it's a lot of fun to do, but please use a lot of caution when you go um, and try to give your best information if you are sharing this with people to make sure they understand that as well. All right, so let's get started. So observing the sun, there's going to be a little bit of repeat from last week, but that's okay. So when we're observing the sun, we're using specialized solar filters. Um, these are filtering out uh, a wide variety of light or only letting certain wavelengths of light pass through to get to either our eye or the camera sensor or whatever, whatever you're doing that day. These filters are generally specifically designed for observations of the sun. Now, there are different filters that allow you to basically observe different phenomenon on the sun. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today is which 
phenomenon are visible and what filters. Uh, we've done this before, not this particular type of episode, but what we found when we did our imaging filters and um, visual filters, what we were getting people asking, how do you know what filter to use for certain things? So we're gonna go eventually back and do this kind of episode for those applications. But since we're talking about the sun, we are, we're gonna follow, obviously we're doing a follow-up to last week on, now that we know what filters do and how they work, we're gonna see what filters are used for certain applications. So that's, that's how this works, kind of a two-part setup. So understanding each filter can allow you to understand which phenomenon on the sun you wanna see. Maybe you're new to solar observing and you know nothing about the sun. So today, that's exactly what we're going to talk about is, okay, here's all the filters, here's what they actually do and let you see. So with that being said, once again, always take great care when you're observing the sun. Please be safe. Make sure the equipment you're using has the proper filtration on it. Um, yeah, uh, just try to protect your eyes. So with that, uh, we're going to get started in there uh, as well. Um, okay, so solar filters. So there's different types of solar filters. There's actually more on the market than even what I'm gonna mention today. Uh, companies like Coronado, Solar Systems, uh, Solar Scope, Daystar, Solar Spectrum. You have all these phenomenal companies making solar filters. And a lot of them make filters in a variety of different types um, to allow us to observe different types of light. And then of course you have your other, you know, Thousand Oaks Optical, um, uh, AstroZap, uh, plenty of other companies that are making, you know, more uh, intro filters like the white light filter. So for today, we're going to focus on just the major three types Four, but there's four types technically, but they're all, two of them are under the same wavelength. So we'll talk about that here. Uh, the first one of course is white light. That's the most common one. We have calcium, and calcium actually comes, for lack of a better term, in two flavors. Um, you have K and H line filters, and we'll talk about that um, once again. And then, of course, hydrogen alpha. So we're gonna break it down into these three categories today and talk about what we're basically seeing in these three areas. Each filter, again, allows us to observe different things on the sun. Um, there is some overlap on certain uh, details. Uh, that's okay. Uh, but each filter is kind of unique in its own right. These are the three types of filters that I use myself. And I'm just going over the stuff that works for me. Um, there are companies such as Daystar. Um, they offer some other filters as well aside from these. Um, we're not really talking about those today. You don't see them as often. Um, they're great filters, but they're a little bit more uh, specialized for certain applications um, at that point. So we're not gonna be worrying about those two today um, at that point. Let me double check on something. Saying there's some issues going on. Let me make sure we don't have any. Um, that I'm aware of just while we're here. Okay, um, if you guys are having any buffering issues, it's probably on your end that we checked here and everything looks good over here. So just, just say that to those here. Um, oh, real quick, my head's in the way. Um, Uh, this is one of my solar rigs right here. I use this for outreach, so you can see three different filters um, on there. Uh, white light, hydrogen, and calcium on the 80 over there. Uh, this has gone through a variety of different scopes, but just showing that if you're going to do outreach or something with three scopes, you can get special equipment to handle three scopes. Make sure you've got a mount big enough to handle it. All right, white light filters. I'm going to actually have my big head come back in here in so white light filters this if you're getting started um this is the one you're going to hear about the most the white light filters are the most common filter for solar observing i'm sure you've looked through a catalog before where you're getting a telescope and you want to look at the sun and this is the first thing that generally uh comes up um 
in discussions uh, is when I want to look at the sun, what filter do I get? Generally, it's a white light filter. Um, go, ahead, go ahead. There's a bunch of pictures in this one. They're big, so um, I'm just going to have my head go away here. Uh, that was a Paramount MX that was holding all those scopes, so just so you know. Um, so white light filters. Uh, white light filters pass a broad range of visible light. Uh, they generally cut off the UV and the IR part of the spectrum, as you can see right here. Uh, it probably goes a little further than this, actually, but over in the UV. But for the most part, this is the range, roughly, that white light uh, covers. So just to give you an idea on the solar spectrum, that's what we're looking at in white light. It's basically a collection of all the colors um, coming down to what we're seeing. Now, at the same time, these filters are also filtering out 99.99% of the light of the sun, so we're actually able to see what we want to see. So, that's that. That's a white light filter. Um, they look like this right here. They look like a mirror that goes over the front of your telescope. There's other types, too. If you want to know about the types, you can go to last week's episode about solar filters. We go into all that. Um, but you can get these in all sizes. They fit on a variety of different instruments. Um, you know, there's a bunch of companies like Thousand Oaks, AstroZap. Um, there's probably some other ones that I'm missing. Um, but you can get solar filters for your telescope. A white light solar filter, the basic starting point. So what are we actually seeing in this filter? That's kind of the foundation of this week's episode. So we know what a white light filter is. What does it do? So in a white light filter, there's a couple different things we're actually able to see. White light filters are showing us a region of the sun known as the photosphere. Uh, the photosphere, for lack of a better term, is the quote-unquote surface of the sun. Um, the sun is a big hot ball of gas, um, if you're to this. There is no hard surface to land on if it's good. So the photosphere would basically be the surface of the sun. That's what you can see in a white light filter, looking at the surface. Uh, this is where pretty much all the light from the sun is emitted. Starts in the core, moves its way through, comes up to the surface, and then emits out from there, kind of like a light bulb. A really big four and a half billion year old multi billion ton converting ball again. Massive light bulb. Uh, the photosphere averages between 8,000 and 11,000 degrees Fahrenheit as well, so it's a little toasty up there. So when you pop that white light filter on your telescope, what exactly are you going to see? Well, that's the question, right? So the biggest thing that you're going to see is sunspots. And uh, sunspots are cooler regions of the sun. They're about 6,500 degrees Fahrenheit on average. These are formed by large magnetic fields that actually occur in the sun just below the photosphere. Um, they occur deep within the convection region of the sun, just like a convection oven. Um, the sun works in the same way. Uh, energy comes up from the core, rises, boils up into the photosphere, and then rains back down and continues doing that. Um, but those magnetic fields are generally started down there in that, that portion of the sun, and they boil up, essentially, up into the photosphere. When that occurs, a lot of times you get a sunspot. Uh, these fields are basically uh, keeping uh, heat below them from pushing through. That's why they're black, or they appear darker, um, the, the lighter portion of them. And of course, these, are, these can be relatively large. They're generally larger than Earth. They can be several times larger um, than our planet. It's kind of interesting to watch them as they change. Um, a fun fact, though, if you're not aware of it, the sun goes through cycles. Uh, that cycle is 11 years. Um, you go from solar maximum, where it's really active, to minimum. Uh, it's We're just starting to come out of minimum right now and kind of head towards maximum uh, again. So over the next couple years, the sun should start kicking up. There's been some really nice details to see uh, this week. So if you've got some stuff, there is a little sunspot group up there um, right now. But eventually you get something like what you see on the screen here where there's a lot of sunspots and big sunspots and all kinds of cool things to see. 
Now, another thing you can see in a white light filter is granules. Uh, granules, uh, you generally need a bigger aperture to see granules. I'd probably say four inch or millimeter. Um, granules are, remember what I said, that kind of boiling of the surface? That's what we're actually seeing. Um, so as that uh, energy rises from the core, it comes up, boils up, and then that plasma then returns back down to the core. Um, granules are basically the surface bubbling up. And these granules range about 900 miles in diameter on average. And they're usually gone within 10 to 20 minutes. So it's a pretty quick thing. Uh, this image, you can see the granules, but to get a better image, the, here's a sunspot, but you can see all around that sunspot, it looks like the surface is grainy. Uh, that's granulation. And a white light filter is helpful to see that detail. Uh, while we're on the question, uh, Book Davies, um, I'm a noob, so this might be a silly question. With a good white light filter, I can observe through an eyepiece without uh, lasering my retina. Yes, you need a good white light filter to make sure you won't damage your eyes. So that is the basic, most fundamental thing for solar observing, having a good filter. And a white light filter is a good way to start. Um, that's going to let you see sunspots, kind of the, the basic detail that we see on the sun, as we talked about. Of course, you can see granules. Um, if you're interested in granules, I actually find that um, film, like you can get white light filters in either glass or film. Um, I find the film filters do a little bit better than the glass. Um, I think the glass absorbs a little bit of the light, uh, where film, I think, does a better job at showing granulation. And then, of course, if you have a refractor, and you want to try one of those Herschel wedges. Um, again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to last week's episode and we'll, you can hear all about that. Um, I find the, the reason I like look, using the Herschel wedge the most is because the granulation is really easy to see um, in a Herschel wedge. It just does a very nice job at being able to see the granulation and the details around the sunspot. So um, there's that. Uh, these filters, like I said, they go over the front of your telescope and they block out the light. You generally want to get one that covers the entire uh, front. Uh, does the white light filter replace my solar filter? No. Um, so usually when we're referring to solar filter, a white light filter, that mirror looking thing in front of the telescope, um, that's that goes over the whole front of it. That is the solar filter at that point. So. That just pops over the front. All right. Uh, and for those of you who don't know what a Herschel wedge is, um, a Herschel wedge is a type of white light filter that goes on refractors up to about 150 millimeter. And actually, hold on, guys. I'm Let me turn my webcam on real quick. I'll show you a Herschel wedge. Hold on just a second. I just happen to have mine right here. Just so we're on the topic real quick and because I had it in reach. Bigger. Uh, this is a Herschel wedge. A Herschel wedge is a type of white light filter. Um, this just happens to be one from Mead. Uh, Lunt makes one, uh, Botter makes one. There's a bunch of them. Um, so this goes on the back of a refractor, plugs in the back like a diagonal. Um, it is a diagonal, but inside there's a very specially made prism and this prism is not coated. So the light goes through the prism, through, through the prism. The majority of the light passes through the prism to either a heat sink or a vent or whatever on the back where the heat's dissipated. And then the rest of the light's reflected up. Now there's a set of polarizer and ND filters in here, down in there. That reduces the light a little bit further and then up to the camera or the eye. Um, I really like using these uh, because they can be used on a wide variety of refractors. And I feel they give the cleanest image uh, that you can see. Um, so 
that's kind of a nice you can see mine's been out in the sun a little bit um losing its anodization um but i really like these um you want to be careful because this is the filter there is no front filter on the telescope so uh just be aware uh, i find these are very safe because all the all the heat and everything is being taken care of in here but do not take this out um, you're using it especially around people just plug it in and you're good to go i find that these work really well and they give the cleanest view but they can only be used on a refractor up to six inch 150 millimeter um, the manufacturer of this will tell you whoever you get the herschel wedge from will tell you the limitations of the filter but um I feel that a Herschel wedge gives you the cleanest image for white light to be able to see granulation and detail around sunspots. Um, but yes, these can only be used on refractors because there is no front filter. All the light, you're getting complete sunlight down into the telescope. That sunlight is being focused into here and being dissipated. Um, if you get a Herschel wedge and you put it on like a Maxitoff Cassegrain or a Schmidt Cassegrain, you will damage the secondary mirror or on a Schmidt Cassegrain because they're normally mounted with really heavy duty double stick tape on the secondaries. You'll melt the secondary off the housing. So don't do it. Only refractors for Herschel wedges. So, but I, I really like the Herschel wedge. I do find it is the, the better of the, the filters. Um, good question, Edgar, about overheating. Um, the only time sunlight is dangerous is when it's at the focus point. So a lot of people ask us, or especially me when I've got the Herschel wedge out there, that isn't it going to hurt my scope or the coatings? No, it, it actually won't because the sunlight that's hitting the lens is no different than sunlight hitting your skin. It's not focused. The only time the, the sunlight becomes dangerous is when it's getting down to the focus point and it's concentrated that's where it's dangerous but there's no damage that will occur to your telescope as long as you're using this correctly um that will come to the telescope because at the by the time the light is focused and at the dangerous area the filter is designed to handle that so um i really like herschel wedges I, this image up on the screen right now that was taken with a herschel wedge um i don't remember the refractor um, a friend of mine shot this but that's the kind of stuff you'll get with a Herschel wedge um, for white light. But if you have questions, you can always email us. I'll be happy to answer it for you. But if you're interested in a Herschel wedge, do your research on it first. Um, make sure you talk to the manufacturer, you know, Lunt Solar, Botter, uh, Mead makes them. Make sure you talk to them if you have questions on them so you really understand what you're doing. Um, the, the Mead Herschel wedge has the polarizer and ND filters built in, which you will need to make it easier to view. Um, Botter and Lunt, you have to add them. So not that it's, just make sure you really understand what you're getting into when you get a Herschel wedge. Just think it's the best of the white light filters, but you need to, it because we're not using a front filter, please be cautious about that. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Okay, I'm going to disappear here because we're going to move on to our next set of filters. That's the calcium filters. Now, calcium, you guys have probably seen these before. Uh, they give you the image of the sun looking like it's blue or purple or it looks like a black light or something like that. Um, that's a calcium filter. Now, calcium filters, uh, they're a narrow band filter. So unlike the um, white light filter, they that passes a wide range also known as a broadband filter it passes a broad range of light uh, calcium filters are narrowband filters they let a very select portion of the spectrum through isolating a couple wavelengths of light that we want to see um, calcium filters are letting us see the lower solar atmosphere this is known as the chromosphere uh, this actually does sit above the photosphere we'll talk about that in a minute uh, this is where calcium uh, sits on uh, the spectrum. You can see it's way over in the ultraviolet. Now, because it is over in the ultraviolet, it's at the very limit of what the human eye can see. 
And because of that, um, these filters are very difficult to use visually. And they're more of a photographic uh, filter. You can use them visually, but it can be difficult to see. Um, as our RAs age, they yellow, and it becomes more difficult to see this wavelength. Now, there are two different types of calcium filters that are on the market right now. There's the calcium K-line. Um, this is at 393.4 nanometers on the spectrum. And then we have the H-line, which is just a little bit up closer to it. Um, and again, these are mainly used for imaging. It's, it's like looking at a black light. It's a very difficult image to see unless you've got some aperture on it. Um, and then it gets pretty expensive. So what's really cool about the next couple filters is what we're seeing. Um, so in calcium, here's how this works. So let's start with the atom. So in the sun's atmosphere, in the chromosphere, you have calcium, you have a lot of different atoms floating in the atmosphere of the sun. In particular, the ones we're talking about now are calcium atoms. These atoms are hit by incoming energy from the core of the sun, um, coming up through the photosphere and then ejecting out into the chromosphere, the outer, the, the lower atmosphere of the sun. As that light comes in and interacts with the atom, the atom absorbs the light. Now, when a calcium atom in the sun's atmosphere absorbs that light, it kicks out an electron. It kicks out one of its uh, electrons. When that happens, that atom emits light and becomes ionized calcium. This is known as calcium 2K is basically what what that is calcium H is a is pretty much the same procedure here as well. Now what we're seeing in the telescope is basically when that atom emits light, when it kicks out that um, uh, electron and it emits the light, that's what we're seeing in a calcium filter. You're seeing that light being emitted billions and billions and billions of times from bajillions of atoms in the sun's atmosphere, um, all emitting that light, and that's what we're able to see that filter, and it looks like this. So that's how calcium works. Now, in calcium, you're actually able to see a couple different things. Of course, we're able to see sunspots. They're very clear um, in here. Uh, but some other unique features to calcium are called plage. Uh, this is bright regions found around sunspots. And this actually gets its name from the French word for beach. So you can kind of think that these are beaches of sunspots around sunspots. Um, these are very apparent, especially when the sun's got some really large sunspot areas. Um, the plages are very uh, interesting to see. Um, another thing you can see is a chromospheric network. Um, this right here are basically the outer lying regions of super granules. So if you remember back to the white light filter granules, um, the sun also has what's known as supergranules. They're much larger versions. Uh, they're about 22,000 miles across, so they're uh, a lot bigger than granules. But that, that network, um, that molting-looking uh, detail in there, that's visible in calcium. Uh, these generally occur from large magnetic fields um, within the uh, supergranules around them. These kind of route around them. So kind of a cool thing that you can see in a calcium filter. Now, because we're talking about the chromosphere, again, the chromosphere is the lower atmosphere of the sun, so it sits above the photosphere, um, which is what a white light filter shows. So a white light filter shows the surface that's known as the photosphere. Calcium is showing you a region of the sun that's about 370 to a little over 900 miles above that so you're literally looking at a different layer of the sun when you're looking at calcium. Uh, calcium H sits a little higher, um, 620 to 1,242 miles above the photosphere. Um, but calcium can actually be found up to 6,200 miles above the solar filter. Uh, that's actually a good question. Um, I assume these filters are used in conjunction with a white light filter. The actual answer is no. Um, a white light filter is its own thing. 
and then calcium and hydrogen that we're about to talk about in a second are their own filters. They're completely unique to one another. Um, you would not use a white light filter in tandem with calcium or hydrogen. You would have a dedicated calcium filter or a dedicated hydrogen filter. Um, so basically, if you want to use three different filters, you'd need three different telescopes. Um, one with white, one with calcium, one with hydrogen. So uh, that's a good question. You would not use this with a white light filter. So that's calcium. Um, calcium is the most difficult of the three to see because it is almost, it's over in that uh, ultraviolet portion of the, the spectrum. So it's very difficult for our eyes to see. It's right at the limitation of what the human eye can pick up. So you don't actually see calcium filters out and about that often. Um, calcium would also be, if you're really into the sun, calcium would be the last of the three filters I would pick up. Um, I'd get your white light filter, get started, make sure you think it's cool. And then everyone after that generally jumps to hydrogen alpha. That hydrogen alpha is probably the most popular filter. That's the one that everybody wants because of what you can see in it. Uh, Cameron, can the Herschel wedge have different filter variants? Uh, do you mean different wavelengths? Um, if that's what you mean, uh, Lunt Solar Systems actually has a calcium Herschel wedge. It's kind of designed specifically for their 152 millimeter telescope. It's kind of specialized for that, but most of the time, calcium. I'm sorry, Herschel Wedge are only white light filters for the most part. Botter has some unique capabilities um, for calcium and their Herschel Wedge. You'd have to talk to them about that. Um, but most of the time, Herschel Wedges are only white light. All right, H-alpha. Hydrogen alpha is probably the most requested filter out of all three filters. Uh, white light is where we start because they're usually relatively affordable but most people after the fact want to know how can I see prominences how can I see solar flares how can I see all that crazy explosive detail that happens on the Sun well the secret to that is the hydrogen filter particularly the hydrogen alpha filter there are different types of hydrogen filters but um, alpha is the the main one we want for the Sun so hydrogen alpha these are narrowband filters that let us look kind of in the mid-range of the chromosphere. So it's a little higher than what we saw in calcium. Uh, I, I say upper chromosphere, but uh, it should be mid to upper chromosphere um, for hydrogen alpha filters. Uh, these let a very narrow region of the red part of the spectrum through, um, allowing us to see the sun. And this is at 656.2 nanometers. Uh, Nicole, uh, double stack. I'll talk about that in a minute because we're actually doing good on time. So I'll talk about double stacking in a bit. Uh, this is the most popular narrowband filter on the market. They're made by a variety of different companies, but this is the filter that everyone generally wants to get when they're thinking about observing the sun. This is generally what people are asking for. So what are we seeing? So let's start with the atom again. This time we've got a hydrogen atom, which is much more simplistic than calcium. So it works pretty much the same way for the most part. Um, light comes in from the sun's core. It hits the hydrogen atom that's sitting in the sun's atmosphere. That is then absorbed. Light is absorbed. And when that occurs, the electron in the in the I'm sorry the electron in the hydrogen atom kicks up from the second orbital shell right here to the third orbital shell now this is that's when it's being absorbed and this is what happens when we get when that absorbs it gives us uh, an absorption line so if you're looking at the the spectrum the solar spectrum um, here on earth you're gonna see it like this this is basically the sun's unique barcode and has all the periodic table of elements are in here. Each element being absorbed in the atmosphere has its own unique signature uh, line. Um, 
And with that, um, hydrogen, when it sucks up that energy from the, the core of the atmosphere, the core of the sun, it absorbs that light, and that's known as the H alpha absorption. Right. Uh, Edgar, uh, H alpha filters for nighttime are dramatically different than solar uh, filters. Uh, we covered that last week's episode. If you want to know about that, go watch a uh, solar filter episode from last week. Um, we go into detail about that. Um, you cannot use them together. So if you want to know all the details, uh, go check out last week's episode. We cover that. Um, so this is the H-alpha line uh, where that basically absorbs. Now, the hydrogen atom and the electron don't like to be in this position. So they cannot maintain it being in the third uh, orbital. So it's gonna jump back down pretty quickly back to the second orbit. And when that happens, the atom then emits light. And that emission of light is what we're seeing in a hydrogen alpha filter when we're looking at the sun. So when we see that being emitted, that's what we see, this kind of disc right here. Um, that's what the telescope is looking at, is that emission of light coming off of that. And that is caused by that electron jumping up to the third orbit and then back down to the second orbit. So what can we see in hydrogen alpha? I know there's some questions out there. I'll get back to that in just a minute because we're actually doing a lot better on time than I thought we were going to. Um, the biggest thing in uh, hydrogen alpha, of course, are active regions. These are right around the sunspot. This is where the magnetic field of the sun is disturbed. Um, this is usually the root of a lot of the solar storms and prominences occur from these regions as well. And they're generally associated with sunspots. This is where sunspots generally occur from. Um, heavy active regions generally are associated with a large sunspot like what you're seeing right here. Um, probably the most requested thing to see in a hydrogen alpha filter is the prominences. Um, so right there, these are large clouds of plasma basically jumping off of the sun. They're normally suspended by magnetic loops that are coming out of the active regions and around those sunspots. These are only visible in H-alpha. You can see them in calcium, but they'd have to be incredibly powerful um, for them to catch in that wavelength. So most of the time you'd have to see it in H-alpha. Another thing you can see are filaments. Now a filament and a prominence are basically the same thing. It's just the position. A filament is viewed on the surface of the sun. So it looks like a snake crawling across the surface of the sun. And then a prominence is when it's on the edge of the sun positioned against the blackness of space. So it's the same object, it's just positioning is different. So that's the difference between prominence and filament. Another thing you can see is spicules. Uh, spicules are these little jets of plasma. They look like little fingers or flames coming off the edge and dancing across the surface of the sun. That's what gives it kind of this molting detail. Um, that's also seen in an H-alpha filter. Uh, these are generally short-lived. They're only a few minutes, um, and they're about 200 miles wide, so they're, they're still pretty large in comparison. This is best seen in telescopes with an aperture of 80 millimeters or bigger. Um, I find if you can get up an aperture, um, this becomes a lot easier to see. You can definitely see the, the edge spicules like this a lot more. Um, this was taken with a Daystar uh, filter, the Daystar Quantum filter, I believe is what I shot this with, and the 150 millimeter Esprit refractor. So both of those paired together, um, this is what you get when the seeing is good. Of course, you can also see sunspots in hydrogen alpha as well. They just look a little bit more dynamic than white light filters. So just to give you an idea, the H alpha filters are showing us the chromosphere as well. Um, this is the same lower mid-atmosphere of the sun. This actually sits a little bit higher than calcium does. So we're looking at a little bit higher portion of the atmosphere than calcium. This is about 775 miles to 10,056 miles above the surface of the sun. 
but it can jet out up to 25,000 miles depending on how crazy the prominences loop off the edge. So that's what we can see in there. Uh, I know that was probably a lot of information, but basically, so what does that boil down to? Um, turn myself, go. Um, so I've, I know there's a bunch of you that are probably asking, you know, what H alpha filter to get then? So we know all this stuff. I know how the filter works. What should I get? Uh, real quick in here, I'll get to, um, Galactus, I'll get to that question in just a second. Uh, so we know what we can see in the telescope now. Um, so maybe you want to get a filter, particularly an H-alpha filter. That's normally what everybody wants to know. So what filter do I get? Because there's a lot of options out there. Uh, first off, you want to look at the listed specs of the filter. You want to pay attention to what's called the band pass. Again, all this is explained in detail in last week's episode. So if you don't know what band pass is or what that refers to, please go back to last week's episode. They work in tandem with this. So when you're looking at an H-alpha filter, look at the band pass. Band pass is listed in angstroms, um, which has a logo like this with an A circle on top of it. I know there's like a real term for that. My boss probably knows that because he's all about that, but I don't know. I'm sure I'll get an earful after this on that. The smaller the band pass, the more detail you're going to see on the sun. So all major manufacturers will provide a listed band pass spec or range for that filter. Um, and of course, with the sun, aperture works the same way. More aperture, you're gonna be able to resolve more seeing permitting. Um, and the sun can be difficult because there's a lot of heat coming off the ground uh, during the day, so your seeing can be uh, go really quickly. So let's just give a crash course really quick. You wanna look at prominences. You think those are really cool. You wanna look for a filter that's somewhere between one and 0.6 angstrom. All the major manufacturers are gonna make one of these. Um, you know, for example, the Coronado PST, probably the biggest gateway into H-alpha that there's been for years. Those are right about one angstrom, roughly. Um, you can narrow that bandpass down by adding a second filter. Um, this is a process called double stacking. Um, I know Nicole in here asked about this. Um, when you're shopping for filters, probably from most of the manufacturers making airspace etalons, again, last week we go into detail about this. Uh, so Coronado and Lunt, currently make airspace etalon systems for hydrogen alpha. If you wanna narrow the band pass down on your telescope, you have to add a second etalon. Um, most of the telescopes on their own or most of the single filters available on the market from like Lunt and Coronado, they are about 0.8 to 0.7 or so band pass. That's pretty good. That's a good mid-range, but if you want to get narrower, you have to add a second filter to drop the band pass even further. That obviously adds to the expense, but that's how you do it. Um, in this range, that 1 to 0.6 angstroms, you're getting good detail on prominences, and you're getting some of that surface detail. Uh, they call it orange peel, because it looks like the orange, peel of an orange. So that's where you're getting that. Now, if you really like surface detail, you want to get all that intricate detail on the surface, you need to have a lower band pass. You're looking at 0.6 or narrower uh, angstroms. The narrower the band pass of the filter, the more surface detail you're going to get, but it's also going to produce a dimmer image. So let's say you have like a Lunt 60 or you've got a Coronado PST or 60. Um, those are probably natively somewhere between 0.7 and 0.8 band pass. You want more surface detail. You have, to you have to double stack. You have to buy a second etalon filter from them, and that's going to thread onto the front of the telescope or be inserted somewhere in the telescope. And by having two of those filters stacked with each other, it narrows the band pass further, giving you more surface detail. Um, 
This does dim the image though, so you have to you know keep that in mind um, so additional aperture can help. Now, best of both worlds, I like having something between 0.7 and 0.5 angstrom. This is going to give you nice detail in the sun, you're going to get good detail with sunspots and filaments, and you're still going to be able to see the prominences. Uh, this is a good balance between all of that. Uh, I would recommend aiming for apertures around 50 millimeter to 100 millimeter for your best performance. Now, if you're really serious about solar observing, you can go to companies like Daystar. Um, Daystar make what's called a solid etalon. Again, last week we talked about this. And they are specifically tuned to the wavelength, you're, the bandpass you're looking for. Um, Daystar makes etalons down to about 0.2 angstroms, which is incredibly narrow. Um, so if you... If you're looking for something specific, you want to do high resolution work, uh, Daystar or something like Solar Spectrum, those two uh, can be utilized on a range of different telescopes. Um, if you have questions, you can always call and speak to the Daystar, Lunt, Coronado team. They've all, all of them have great people out there. So um, that's that. Um, I know we have a lot of questions about uh, stuff today. So I'm going to go through some of these because we've got some time. So let me rope back around um, in here. So the first one, I was looking for an H-alpha filter and I am, am I right that these are very expensive to the point that makes more sense to get a purpose-built telescope over a filter? Uh, yes. So hydrogen alpha filters, anything specialized is going to be expensive. Uh, these are difficult filters to make. I actually go into detail of why these are expensive um, last week. Um, hydrogen alpha filters are very difficult to produce. Uh, so are calcium filters, but, you know, whatever. Um, so a lot of times you can adapt a filter to an existing telescope. You know, Daystar filters are very good at adapting to existing telescopes. But you're still looking at about $1,200 starting. Um, you can get a dedicated telescope. That's kind of nice. Um, I would recommend starting with something small like the Coronado PST or the Lunt 40 or 50 or whatever. Um, see if it's what you like. Um, but then you can always add like a Daystar cork um, to a refractor and get a wide variety of use out of that too. So. Um, there's a couple different ways to go about that, um, but they are expensive no matter which way you cut it. Um, even the Coronado PST, I think, is like six or $700 now. So if you want to get into H-alpha solar observing, you're looking at 500 or more. You can always find stuff on the used market too, um, so just keep an eye on that as well. But, you know... If you're getting started in hydrogen alpha observing, you're still looking at spending at least 500 bucks-ish starting. Uh, next question. Do you need an energy rejection filter for a six inch refractor on the objective when using hydrogen alpha? Um, I have, a, so I use a Daystar filter. We talked about that last week. It's actually outside on the telescope right now. Um, the Daystar uh, filters like the quark and the quantum and stuff like that, you can use a UVIR filter on the diagonal without an ERF up to six inch for a limited time. Um, you can use an energy rejection filter. If you want the details about that, I would call Daystar and actually talk to them directly and they'll be able to help siphon through what's gonna be best for that particular telescope. So that's what I would recommend. Uh, what type of camera would you recommend for H alpha filter? Good question. Monochrome, 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 monochrome. Um, this is a narrow band filter. If you're using a color camera with an H alpha filter, it makes it doesn't really make a lot of sense because um, the only pixels that are being activated on a color camera when you're using a narrow band filter. This also applies to nighttime astronomy. Um, if you have a narrow band filter, it's letting a select range of light come through. For example, if we're talking about hydrogen alpha, you're only looking at red light. So that means the pixels that are being lit up on the sensor are only the red pixels. You're throwing out the rest of that chip capability. So basically two thirds 
of your camera are not being used. You can do it, but you're wasting you're wasting data. So if you're serious about doing astrophotography of the sun, um, monochrome cameras, I don't care if it's, but you want a high speed one like ZWO. Um, I use a uh, camera from a company, Clear, uh, for looking infrared. They, they bought a company called Point Gray. Um, I use one of their cameras. It's a Grasshopper 3.0 um, monochrome camera. But uh, monochrome all the time. So um, I wouldn't waste your time with color um, if you're doing solar. You're just going to want to go get a monochrome to get the best out of that. You spent a lot of money on the filter, on the mount. You know, just round it out and get the camera. So uh, question, uh, what does double stack mean? We kind of covered that a little bit ago. Um, if you buy a telescope or a filter from like Lunt or Coronado, those airspace etalons, um, you have to, and you want to narrow that band pass, you have to get a double stack filter. They have special filters that thread onto the front of the telescope or insert into the telescope somewhere. That's a second etalon that narrows the wavelength. It's going to give you a more detailed view of the sun. I really like double stack. Uh, my Coronado 90 is a double stack. Um, when you get a double stack that's like 80, 60 millimeter or bigger, it's pretty sweet. So go spend a bunch of money with my friend's company. Um, let's see. Can you repeat what you said last week about how to tune the double stack? Oh yeah, sure. So if you have a double stack telescope, let's say you just got like a 60 millimeter from Coronado or Lunt, you bought your double stack, you've got the filter in the, in the scope and you have the filter up front. When you thread those together and you look through it, you're going to get what's called a ghost image. So one image is going to be your nice bright sun, and then you're going to get this annoying reflection that's called a ghost image. Um, we want to get that out of the field of view. So on most of these uh, telescopes that have a double stack, they have tuners. Um, on the Lunt and the Coronado, they're tilt tunes, so it actually tilts it out of the way. Uh, Lunt also has a pressure tune. You'll have to talk to them. If it's a pressure tune double stack, talk to Lunt. They'll be able to tell you how to tune it. It's been a while since I've used one. Um, but on a standard system, you would take the front etalon, the double stack etalon, and tilt the etalon until the ghost is out of the field of view. And then from there, you would do all the remaining tuning with the, the second etalon that's inside or behind the double stack filter. So hopefully that helps with that. Uh, let's see, which H alpha filters would you recommend for an ED80 that are $1,000, less than a thousand? Oh, you want a solar filter that's less than a thousand dollars. Um, good luck. Uh, probably for, if you have an ED80 and you want something, uh, I think the simplest and least expensive route for an existing telescope would be like a Daystar Quark. Um, those are really awesome filters. They make different versions. They make a prominent. I think they still make the prominence one. Um, the prominence one is like 0 0.7, 0 0.6 band pass. Um, and then they make the chromosphere one, um, which just is a little narrower band pass. Um, or they make the the, uh, the best of both worlds. They make the Gemini, which has two etalons. You can shift back and forth, which is kind of neat. So um, it's definitely, if you have an ED80, and you want the simplest way to make that hydrogen alpha, uh, a Daystar quark is really the hardest, easiest way to do that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how I would do that. Uh, let's see, Christopher, how do you like it? Um, I used to have, I've owned two or three of the chromosphere quarks. Um, they work really well. Um, they show you exactly what you want to see. They give you great images. Um, I don't have them anymore. I went up to a quantum, a Daystar quantum, um, real quick. Um, so that's what I have out on the scope now. The quantums are just bigger. So um, I I went with that. So, uh, But the, the quarks are nice. You can't go wrong with that. Uh, let's see. Moon cameras seem to make... Nighttime. Okay. Uh, 
so yeah if you guys have any other questions um let us know uh this was a pretty good one actually uh if you like what we're doing here um stuff out of the way go ahead and subscribe to our channel it just keeps you up to date with what's uh what's coming up and then next week um let me get up here real quick next week we're having steven ramsden on and if you're not familiar with steven steven is like the master of solar astronomy he's the creator of the charlie bait solar astronomy project he also runs sunlit earth um he's a huge fanatic when it comes to the sun uh probably one of the most reputable people doing solar astronomy um and all of that so uh, he'll be here next week i think we're gonna try to do some live streaming he's in georgia so i think we're gonna try to do some live streaming he's got a 152 millimeter double stack h alpha and some other fun stuff um so we're hoping to have him on next week uh he is going to be here next week but we're hoping to have a live stream off of his scopes while we sit and chat and do stuff like that next week so 10 10 a.m pacific next week uh steven will be on here um he's gonna be talking about what he's got to play with and uh all all his doings in amateur astronomy and where he's at with that at the moment um so that'll be a good one uh last question how are the daystar filters different than dedicated solar scopes um they're not uh, the daystar actually makes dedicated solar scopes with the filters installed or if you already have a telescope that you really like like a refractor you really like you can just get the filter and pop it in there um again you can call up daystar talk with tiffany or jen over at daystar they'll be happy to walk you through any of that or if if you're interested in coronado or lunt all those companies have a great team uh, we know everybody over at those companies uh, they'll be happy to talk to you in detail about what's going to be the best for you, um, what filter is going to fit the need you're looking for, and of course, what's going to totally break your budget. So, ta-da! Welcome to Solar Astronomy. So, uh, thanks for uh, watching, everyone. I hope this was informative. I know it was a lot of details. We actually nailed the time. Um, so, uh, thanks again. Uh, oh, real quick. If you have an H-alpha filter and you want to see what's going up on the sun, uh, this is the website that I use. It's uh, right here. I just call, um, if you go to Google, just type in gong, G-O-N-G, H-alpha, and this will come up. Um, this is actually, well, got seven different telescopes around the world. They're all observing the sun in hydrogen alpha. Um, the ones in green, these guys right here, are all live. Um, they're updating constantly. So if you want to see what's going on in the sun and see if it's worth, you know, running outside and taking a look and getting sunburnt and all that fun stuff, um, you can go see what's going on there. So like Big Bear Solar Observatory, here's their H-alpha image of the day. Not the day, but what's local. Um, current. Uh, here's another one from Chile. I use this one the most. I think the detail is really good on this one. Um, but this is what I look at to see if, it's, if there's something worth going outside and setting up pulling the covers off and taking a look there's some prominences up there today uh that big prominence we had yesterday in the last couple days is gone um there is a sunspot region and a couple little active regions up there so there's some stuff to see um today if you have a solar telescope uh, hydrogen telescope go take a look at it if you've got a white light filter you can go check out this little sunspot region that's over there as well so um that's what i use if you ever want to see what's going up on the sun um and seeing if it's worth um uh, going out and again getting sunburnt all that fun stuff so anyway that is it for this week uh thank you very much for watching uh, i hope you guys have a great weekend stay safe stay healthy uh the moon jupiter saturn mars now's the time to go out and look at all those um of course the sun's great but um just get your telescope out and go look stuff you know it's a lot better than watching the news so uh thanks for watching uh, if you have any questions go ahead and email us at support at skywatcherusa.com um my name is kevin thank you have a great weekend and see you guys next friday so take care see you guys